Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Uh, as we're beginning a uh, series, we're jumping into the really the middle of Acts. Um, this is really today for me kind of a get us rolling on my uh, side of it, and it's kind of to get me rolling in the text. So just so you kind of know where I'm going here this morning in our time in God's Word, I'm going to kind of have three movements here. One is a, kind of a connecting something, second a threading something, and then third will actually be in the text of uh, Acts 13, 1 through 12, so we'll be there for 15, maybe 20 minutes um, on just uh, kind of the walking through that. But let me kind of hit a couple of these things first, I think, to continue to get groundwork underway for us as we dive into the last uh, chapters of Acts. So first, a connecting thing. I'd like to take us back about a year and a half to February of 2018. It was in 2018, right around that time, beginning of the year, we were doing a series on our three W's. Our three W's are posted on our walls in here. In fact, we were posting them up every other week as we were spending two weeks with each. So we were having to worship Christ, and it's a doxology thing. And then the next we were talking about was walk with Christ, and that is an abiding thing. And then the third is the work for Christ, and that is an overflowing thing. It was a kind of a surprise in a way to me just how God showed up in that time, particularly in the walk with Christ and the abiding thing. And if you were here at that time, uh, we were going to God's word with that and what does abiding mean? And uh, we uh, saw in Luke chapter 10 where uh, Jesus says uh, they're in the home of Mary and Martha and Jesus says to Martha, 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 Martha. Will you please just stop being so distracted and anxious and worried about so many things? Martha, would you just come and sit down for a little bit and abide with me? Mary's got that together. Mary has the one thing that is necessary right now. Abide with me. And then we carried that over into John 15 where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever uh, knows me, I want you to abide with me. And he uses that word abide over and over and over again in John 15. We brought in the picture of a tree. We don't have a whole lot of vines here in the Midwest. That's not our main item. But we have a lot of trees. We have a lot of corn, but trees are kind of cool around for this. And so it carried that illustration over into using a tree. And so the trunk of the tree, the vine, is Jesus Christ. And then the branch, the branch uh, is grafted into, or at the time when a person comes to know Christ as their Savior, they, they are brought into their branch and connected into the trunk. And it is in the trunk uh, where that connection takes place that everything hangs right there. Uh, I could say it this way, the relationship is right there. In fact, even with trees, as they mature, the branch actually begins to almost look like it further drills itself into the trunk of the tree the more mature it gets. It's grabbing a hold of every. This is where the relationship happens. Now, 
we oftentimes, as we've talked about, are so focused on what's happening out on the end of the tree limb, uh, the leaves and the fruit being born. And, and, and we see that the, when the wind hits and the storms hit and all the movement and the shaking around, and we have this tendency to look at that branch and compare our branch with everybody else's branch. And so then it becomes a Christian competition in, in whose branch is more awesome in it. And yet we're coming back and Jesus is like, just that's in the Greek. And he says, hey, abide with me. It's about what's happening right there. That's where it's really all about. That's where it's going. That's where the nutrients, that's where things are happening in that. I just want to kind of, as we're moving from the gospel of Matthew, kind of communicate it this way. The gospel of Matthew is really all about the abiding reality. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, came incarnate in the flesh, boots on the ground, to be able to go to the cross and, and die and rise from the dead, conquering sin and death, calling and making the provision for, as Brody just preached so well, to have a relationship with him, to have sins forgiven. And that's where it all happened. If I could say, that's the Gospel of Matthew. Now, if you could picture it this way, in it, the book of Acts that we're beginning to get into, I might say, is what comes out of that. It's the branch movement that comes out of that. And here in the relationship of the, the vine and the branch, the main character of the Trinity in the Gospels is Jesus Christ. But as we look in the book of Acts, the main character one of the Trinity that is taking place and the working out of that abiding, the overflowing of that abiding is the Spirit of God. He's the one who makes it happen. We plant, we water, but God gives the growth. So take that picture and maybe bring it into our study with Acts, and let me kind of state it this way, if I could summarize all that in a sentence. Abiding in Christ people are spirit-dependent people. Abiding in Christ people are spirit-dependent people. As we abide in Christ, walk with Christ, if there is going to be an overflowing work that it is done, it is not abide in Christ and then man up, muscle up, and do it on our own. No, 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 no. It is abide in Christ, and out of the overflow of that, by the work and the dependence on the Spirit of God, that things begin to happen. So keep that in mind. Connect that back from when we were. And abiding in Christ, people are a Spirit-depending now let me take that thought and uh, kind of move into the second thing. I would like to do a thread thing. I'd like to do some connecting. If you will, let's kind of go back to our uh, series in Matthew and uh, the gospel turns lives inside out and upside down. And if you want, open your Bibles to Matthew 28. I'm gonna make mention of some texts and if you wanna have your Bible open while I pass through some of this, I wanna thread something from Matthew 28. I wanna thread it to connect up to Acts 13 so that we have some data points here along the way. I'm gonna mention these, I'm not gonna read all of them, mention them as we go through. So I'll pull it together, I'm gonna to talk it, and then I'm gonna put it on a map for us, all right? And then we'll dive into 
of the text. So first Matthew 28, 16 through 20, that's the great commission. Uh, that's when uh, Jesus, right before the ascension, he says, hey, uh, disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he talks in here, he says, uh, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And he gives this wonderful promise. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Risen, glorified, magnified, Jesus Christ is still with, friends. Still with. And that promise is not only just there, but it is even now today. We are not on our own. And he is not far off and away, but he is within that. Turn over to Acts chapter 1. We, we jumped on the last Sunday of our series to the first 11 verses before the ascension of Christ. I'm just going to make note that in verse 2, uh, uh, Jesus says uh, that he has, he went, before he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. This is where the, the, the third person of the Trinity begins to show up in the book of Acts. The book of Acts makes reference to the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, twice as many times as any other book in the Bible. And so we see it from the very beginning, and we're going to see this thread moving through that the Spirit of God is a key part of what's going on. So here we have Jesus giving commands through the Holy Spirit to the disciples. The Jesus, verses 4 and 5, tells them to wait here in Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? He like gives this command to go, and then he tells them to wait. You know, one of the things I think Christians are worse at, does that make sense? Are not good at, is waiting. You know, we just have this way, back to the illustration, we just have this way of being about all the leaves, how many leaves we have stacked up. I mean, ministry people are that way. Oh, it's just so annoying. Churches can get that way. Oh, it's so, it must be so annoying to the Lord. We can get that way, and we want to stack it all up, compare it all up, and, and, and yet we are sometimes really horrible at just being a people that God is like, would you just wait? Martha, Martha, Martha. Would you please just sit down and stop trying so hard and just be with me? So here Jesus tells them to wait. He tells them to wait in Jerusalem. He tells them to wait there because they're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. By the way, here as a church, we have the understanding from Scripture of a Trinitarian view of the God, that there is a Godhead consisting of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And to hear that this Spirit is not an emanating force of God. This is not like a Yoda thing. This is actually a person of the Trinity. And by the way, that has grand implications because when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the scriptures say that you are sealed by, held by, indwelt by the Spirit of God. That's not a power source. That's a divine person. So that means that, as we're going to see here in just a moment, that means even walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, is not tapping more into, you already have the person of. It has more to do with my cooperating with. Am I cooperating with the one that I have? That's what's going on here. And here he tells them to wait for the Spirit, and then, uh, and then they will receive power, and that takes place. And from there, we then moved into uh, last Sunday, beginning their series. I wasn't here this last Sunday, but it was far better than if I were here last Sunday because we had our pastors and we had our elders all together uh, give an overview of the uh, 
first 12 chapters as you see on the screen behind me with that. Um, I want for you to know a couple things. One, how thankful I am for them. Karen and I were able to sit in the third service and um, participate and being a part of with that and just what a blessing it is. Just so grateful for our men and our elders and our pastors. I also just want for you to know in that that uh, that whole working of them and what they read and what they presented was their own work. Each pastor, each elder was given a text from Acts and they were then to take that and bring a summary of that within a three-minute summary. And so as they were doing that, that was their own work together. And one of the wonderful things, and this is just a, a testimony of who God is and what God does, is read that. You see the flow just moves right on through. It was a cool thing. I want for you to know, too, particularly with uh, small groups uh, doing sermon-based here beginning in a little bit as we go through Acts, that uh, those written up uh, summaries are available online on our website. Go to our resources page or last Sunday's sermon. You can get that text, all of those down if you want to read through that or catch up with that. You have that as a resource there. So what we have here is these 12 chapters. Let me just thread a couple things through that and look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Uh, verse 4, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with, this is the, 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 the coming, the, the full indwelling of the Spirit of God that had been unlike had happened out throughout the entire Old Testament. And here it is taking place in a whole amazing way with what's going on. Then we go to Acts chapter 8. People scattered. Pastor Robbie was covering that one. Acts chapter 8 verse 1. And we find out just a couple data items here that bring up here in just a second for Acts 13. We find a person here. And Saul approved of Stephen's execution. There's persecution going on. And this guy named Saul who was a, an attorney, uh, a religious leader, amazing, amazing man who hated Christians and was a part of giving the thumbs up on executing, uh, having them executed. And note also, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were scattered throughout their regions. Note, to Judea and to Samaria. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, hey, uh, take the gospel to Jerusalem. They're there. Take the gospel to Judea and Samaria, and God, in his sovereign work, is making that happen by persecution spreading them out and around. And they're moving, and they're in place. Uh, no persecution is happening. They're being scattered. Acts 11, uh, verse 19. Uh, those who were scattered of the persecution uh, arose, traveled as far as Phoenicia, which is like northern Africa, Cyprus, uh, which we're going to see in our text in chapter 13 today. It's an island. It's like the, uh, I read, it's like the Mediterranean Hawaii. Now, don't you want to go on a missions trip there? And uh, we're going to find out that was the first mission place. Hey, I'm in on that game. I'm in on that game. 
And then to Antioch, I just want to note it, this is going to show up here. Uh, so and then in this, uh, verses 20, 21, there's these individuals from Cyprus and Cyrene coming. They're coming to Antioch. Uh, they, there's a report to Jerusalem on what God is doing up in this Antioch region. Barnabas is full of the Holy Spirit and faith, goes and gets Saul. And he gets Saul. Wait, why would he get Saul, who is one who persecutes the execution of, of Christians? Why would he go get him? Because God, Jesus Christ, showed up one day while Saul's walking down the road, put him face down, and Saul is now a Christ follower. The one who was executing Christians came to see the light. And he is now following, and Barnabas, uh, following Christ, and Barnabas goes and gets Saul after he's been a year, a few years in Tarsus and is growing and grabs a hold of him, brings him to Antioch. I'm just kind of putting some data pieces out there. They come up, uh, they're in Antioch. The people and the leaders in Jerusalem hear about what's going on in Antioch. Uh, Acts chapter 12, uh, Herod, uh, this is not the Herod that was in Jesus' birth time. This is a different Herod, but he's uh, a creep, and uh, he's uh, uh, like all of them were, all those Herod dudes. Sorry if you have the name Herod. I love you. Um, but, and, and we read in there that uh, verse 2, he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And, and look at it, verse 3. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter. Peter was on deck to be executed. The disciples now, the apostles are now beginning to have their heads uh, uh, taken. And yet, uh, God, miraculously in chapter 12, does a work in getting Peter out of prison. God's got it in control. Then you get to the end of chapter 12, Herod is there, and it's like a King Nebuchadnezzar thing. He's got this situation. He goes out in front of the people that are there, and he like wears this, uh, uh, Josephus tells us about some of the history of it. He wears like this shining silver thing. He sits before the people and makes these proclamations in the beginning of the sunrise, and everybody is saying, you are like a god. It's like Nebuchadnezzar, and he's loving it, eating it up, and what ends up happening? God takes him out. So many things we could be building off there, but I just want you to know this. God is at work. What God has said will happen is happening. Now let me put some of this, uh, let me make a final statement. Verse 24 and 25 of chapter 12, I have, in fact, I have in my Bible those verses, a box around it. The reason I have a, a drawn box around it is because those are hinge verses. So far, the gospel has mainly been to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And Jesus had said to go to the rest of the world, right? But that's about to happen. These two verses, I think, are the hinge verse, the gospel to the world. Verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Even in persecution, even in persecution, and in fact, oh, I'm going to be careful when I say this because I don't know if I want it to be. But in fact, sometimes I wonder if we need some persecution to get serious with the Lord. Because it is in persecution that seriousness with the Lord begins to take place. And it's multiplying and increasing. Verse 25, Barnabas and Saul, they returned from Jerusalem where they had been gone and take money to love on the people from Antioch. They're back in Antioch. Everybody's in their place. Everybody's ready to go. Okay? And before we go into 13, let me kind of put all this on a map so you can see a little bit. Let's go to the next slide. So that's our series. I'm sorry. This is my fault. Let's kind of go on to the next one here. 
And then let's go on to the next one. All right, can you see Jerusalem? <laughs> I, had, I had to put the arrow there for any hope of you being able to see where it is. Now, uh, let's go to the next one here, and we see that we've already talked about how it's gone to Judea and Samaria. Now, is that not impressive? I mean, the gospel is like all over the world. Not. Now, let's add one more data point we've learned so far, Antioch. Antioch's just a little bit up there. By the way, since Jesus ascended, gave the Great Commission, it's been now about 15 years, and that's the spread of the gospel. It's not all that impressive. Particularly if you add, if you add, go to the next one, if you add the, uh, the realm of the world at that time, the population of the world in middle uh, 8100 was basically within that range. And yet even then, it's not that impressive. I'm just gonna say, as a, as a pastor of a church that is just under 12 years old, the fact that in 15 years, that's all the farther they've gotten thrills my soul. Because by the way, friends, the whole call of the book of Acts is not that we as our church is to have to take over, is to reach the entire world. That's not the goal. We're, we're, we're to be, well, we'll see. We'll see. But even in 15 years, that's where it's gone. By the way, just to kind of finish at the end of the book of Acts, uh, it gets to the circle covers the third missionary journey, covers about there. Still not that impressive. After 30 years, let me just say this. Hey, God's people have a hard time doing things in God's timing. Because I think if it were most of us, we would have heard God's commission, the Lord's commission in Matthew 18. We would have gotten together. We would have made a vision statement. We would have then branded that statement and then we would have put together like 38 points on how we were going to conquer the world. And the Lord's like, you know what? How about this? Just put away all your fancy stuff and how about being dependent on me? Nothing's wrong with vision statements. Nothing's wrong with branding. Nothing's wrong with any of those things. But with all of that said, let's go to chapter 13. Let's go to chapter 13 and let's kind of walk through in the next minutes 12 verses. Lord, show us more of yourself, right? Now, chapter 13, verse 1. There were in the church at Antioch, we've learned about that church, there were prophets and teachers by the way, uh, these are giftings of the Lord. And then we were, we're told their names. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. That dude had position and relationship in high places. Oh, and then Saul. It's interesting. Here's this church in Antioch, and we are told about these kind of five key individuals, these five individuals that are prophets and teachers. Had we gone back and had I told us, walked us through all the details of it, we would have learned that much of what was taking place in this church in Antioch was Barnabas. Barnabas was just a stud because Barnabas went and actually got Saul, as we 
mentioned, and he was going and pulling these key leaders over to Antioch. God was at work in this local group of believers in Antioch, and Paul was bringing these individuals in and and establishing kind of this marvelous stronghold of God's people together. Now, I would think that you get a dream team like that together. That's then when you start laying out the vision statements and you laying out the plans and the structures and and the websites and everything. But but look at what takes place. Verse 2, while they... By the way, one of the questions on the they, they personal pronoun, I didn't learn uh, English grammar until actually I got into ministry. <laughs> so all of you students taking English learn harder than I did. Did that even make sense? Is that even grammatically okay? <laughs> so here in it, um, what we have here is who is the they? Is the they the local church in Antioch? Probably. But the they could also be those five kind of core leaders that are there. It's likely both. Look what they are doing. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Pause right there. What we usually think here is we have this way in our modern day thinking that we, when we see the word worship, we think a worship service, right? I mean, we, we think that's the case. And probably that was part of it. They're coming together. I wouldn't be surprised if they're singing. We saw, saw clearly throughout Scripture, we see Peter singing in jail and, and various things like that. Clearly that was taking place. But, but I'll, let me just say this. The doxology thing was happening. Okay? Where, where the glory of God is a big deal to them. And, and they are there, and they were in this uh, uh, mode of, I'm not even saying it's one service, it was just in an attitude of, it was in a lifestyle of worship of the Lord. They had a high doxology for the glory of the Lord, and they were fasting. Now, when we see fasting in Scripture, so often we see it as this thing to where, uh, you know, they're not eating or they're, they're pulling back. Why are they doing that? They're doing that so that they can stay stretch into the Lord. They can lean into the Lord. We want to set something aside so that we can focus upon, grab a hold of, lean into the Lord. They're worshiping the Lord. They have the sense together where it's all about God's glory and they are walking, leaning into the Lord. The doxology thing is showing up in the abiding thing. And what happens when God's people come together with a doxology that is an abiding reality? What happens? Look at the text. The Spirit of God shows up. And the Holy Spirit said, by the way, I have no idea if this was literally a God audible voice. I've never heard that kind of thing in my life. I would love to. That would be awesome. I just am curious what the Spirit's voice sounds like. It's got to be cool. Or whether this was kind of the thing where the Spirit, through their coming together, moved them together to be able to understand that this is where the Spirit is moving us. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me. By the way, that's an interesting point. One more reason why we have a Trinitarian view of of the Spirit of God. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I'm going to make a really radical statement here. 
bear with me. But sometimes the book of Acts becomes the Christian crack. Where God's people kind of go into the book of Acts and just want to see and do and experience all this crazy stuff. And listen, that's not the goal here. It's descriptive, not prescriptive. By the way, it's just telling what's happening here. And I don't think this is some crazy session that they're taking place where all this funky, wild, crazy, you know, Spirit of God stuff is going on. I think the Spirit of God is there, and they are in this. They are coming along with it. They are, they are seeing it. And even after the Spirit speaks, then after fasting and praying, it's like they're continuing to lean into the Lord with it all. They want to see the Lord show up. This is an abiding people. Do you see that? This is a deeply abiding, leaning into the Lord. I want more of who you are and what you're about for us. And it is out of that that the Spirit overflows direction for them. By the way, there were five core leaders and and the Spirit said two. So does that mean that those two are better than those three? Because oftentimes that's the way we think. No. Through much of this series, I want for you to understand the call of the book of Acts is not for you and I to be the Apostle Paul. I won't be. You won't be. But I want to tell you it's these other three that I'm most interested in because they stay at their church teaching, growing, strengthening. That's the stuff we're going to be seeing in the coming weeks ahead. And Paul and Barnabas are, unique, are the unique ones called out. They're the oddballs in a good way. They're not the superheroes. They're not the best of. But God has equipped them, called them for this task. And it doesn't mean the others are losers. It means that God has a unique thing for them. And frankly, all the others, they're the 98% of our world. And oftentimes the 98% kind of get looked down on. I have people who say, I'm just a lay elder or I'm just a lay person. Oh, please don't say that in front of me. That breaks my heart. You are one who loves the Lord. And the Lord wants to work in and through you just as he wants to work in and through me. It's unique gifting. Unique working together. No one is better than. No one is better than. No one is better than. We are together in. And they send them off. By the way, notice uh, verse 4 they sent them off, but so being sent out by the Holy Spirit fact of the matter is the Spirit of God is the one who sent them out. So we've seen the Holy Spirit directs them, and then here we see the Holy Spirit sends them. And so they went down to Seleucia, that's down by the coast from Antioch, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Let's take a look at our slide here. And so here is Jerusalem over here. Uh, Here is Antioch. Uh, Antioch, Seleucia is just a little bit up, and then they go and they traveled across over to Hawaii, uh, Cyprus, over there. And and by the way, if you note in the text from the past, uh, it's very likely that some of them came from Cyprus. Um, 
There's some interesting reality of that. Go where you know to go. Verse 5, And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. That's really interesting. By the way, it doesn't say that, and nothing's wrong with any of these, but sometimes we so complicate the gospel. It doesn't say that they presented evangelism explosion, the four spiritual laws, or the bridge illustration, or Romans Road. All those are wonderful tools to share the gospel. What does it say? It says that they went and they shared with them the word of God. John chapter 1. The beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God, and the Word is Jesus Christ. How about this? As we share Christ, it's this simple. Share Christ. I mean, share Christ. And that's what they were doing, going over to this place, and, and they're sharing the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. As we see, that's one of the first things they do. They go to the Jews first, so often in Acts. Interesting. And they had John assisted with them. Verse 6, And when they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, uh, you see on the screen on the other end of the island there, so uh, how long they were there, don't even know, but they were there going around this island. They came upon, now here's a particular story, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul. That word sounds like a whole group of people, but it's not. It's one person. Uh, kind of think of it this way. They, uh, they came upon the governor of Cyprus. They came upon, uh, uh, Bar-Jesus was with the governor of Cyprus. His name is Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. <laughs> That's one thing that will never be said of me, but it sets him unique. Why is that important? Well, let's look who summoned Barnabas and Paul, who sought to hear the word of God. So what's going on here is you have this guy who's a governor. He's a man of intelligence, a man of intelligence that wants to know. And so he's looking, he's seeking, he's trying to find answers for life. And so he hears about this Bar-Jesus guy. I'm kind of filling in some sanctified imagination, but understanding here within the text. So this governor who is seeking truth in life because he's an intelligent individual, and he connects with this Bar-Jesus guy who is saying and doing this, doing these amazing things because we learn here in just a second that he's also called a magician, and he's like connecting, and he's like, man, I know there's more to life than just living and dying and he's connecting with him and then all of a sudden these two guys Barnabas and Paul come to this island and they're talking about something that gets his attention as an intelligent man not as a loser not as a buffoon not as someone who's like needs a crutch an intelligent man and he sought to hear the word of God from Barnabas and Saul, but Elimus, who's the magician, who's Bar-Jesus, that's the meaning of his name, the text tells us, opposed them. Why would he oppose them? Because his dude is going to be going to these guys, seeking to turn the proconsul Sergius away from the faith. But Saul, who also was called Paul, first time we see it, Saul is Paul, look at it, filled with the Holy Spirit. Third time, within these 12 verses that we see that as the gospel is going to the world, it's important that God knows the Spirit of God is critical on the scene. He's calling people, he's sending people, and he's working through people. 
And by the way, why do they include this? Because of what Paul is about to say. <laughs> he speaks to the magician, to Bar Jesus. You son of the devil. Woo! <laughs> you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. You, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Isn't that interesting? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. By the way, who said that? Paul said that in cooperation with the Spirit of God. And if I have my understanding of Paul's life, didn't he have a season where he was blinded? How interesting is this? And so here, this Bar-Jesus, this Elimus magician, uh, is blinded, and then look immediately. Okay, for those of you who are newer, we went through the series on the book of Mark. Uh, he has immediately throughout, and uh, whenever we see it, immediately it's bam, it kind of emphasizes it. So immediately, bam. mist and darkness fell upon Bar Jesus, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Can you see that? The one who thought he was proclaiming light is blind, just like the Apostle Paul or Saul. Verse 15, after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, wait, where'd I go? Sorry about that. I jumped down. The spirit of God was on me. Um, <laughs> immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Verse 12, then Sergeus, the proconsul, believed. By the way, note, when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let me connect something here. What's going on with Sergeus, who is an intelligent man, what's going on is first he's astonished by the teaching of the Lord. I have not heard truth like this before. This is the kind of stuff, there is something in this teaching and this truth that is grabbing my attention, that is grabbing my ears, that is grabbing my eyes. Oh, and by the way, that combined with he saw what occurred. Friends, that is so common, the story of what happens with people, and particularly adult people. If I could say, that is sharing the gospel and your life. People need to hear the gospel, and people need to see the gospel. And when those two connect, it is attractive as can be. And we don't muscle it, the Spirit of God does. When the Spirit of God uses the Word of God through the people of God to live out who are ones filled with the Spirit of God, and other people look at that and they go, even intelligent people look at that and go, I want that. That is truth. And we're at the end of our text for today. I don't know about you, but I want to be, and I want us to be a spirit-directed people, a spirit-sent people, a spirit cooperating with the spirit people. I want us to be a spirit-dependent people. We have too much human muscling for the Lord going on. 
people who are abiding with Christ, leaning into the Lord, and who, who in that have a dependence upon, oh God, do a work in me and through me and out of me. Not by my strength, but by your strength. A spirit-dependent people. And I haven't gotten into what that looks like in detail. I'm just wanting to get the concept out there that we would yearn for it. Because I think as we go through Acts, we're going to be seeing what a spirit-dependent people looks like. And if we don't want that, we're not going to be grabbing a hold of the importance of it. And so today is setting a base groundwork and kind of making a call. Friends, let's come together every week as a people who are dependent on the Spirit of God to do a work. Spirit-depending dependent people. That's the way it should be in our kids' ministry. That's the way it should be in our student ministries. That's the way it should be in our lobby. That's the way it should be in here. Oh God, we're dependent upon you to do a work because we know this. When God's people come together and God's word is brought out, God does a work. And by the way, with that, small groups. We're getting ready here to launch small groups here for kind of these next months into December. I would love for you and me to go into our small group dependent on the Spirit of God to do work. I just would ask that you would consider how you're entering. What are your expectations? If I might help you just for a moment. I think too often people go into something like a small group thinking a good thing that this is where I'm going to grab a hold of some close friends. That's a wonderful thing if that happens. But I'm just going to tell you straight up, that's not the important thing. And in fact, God can put a group of people together that are completely unlike each other, our small group, completely unlike each other, most of whom may not even connect together on a normal basis and going like, you know what, we can be peeps together. But God puts a group of people together in the kind of way when they come, not so much waiting for us to have bud buds, but for us to have the Lord. I can gather together with any person who wants to seek after the Lord, and when those kind of people come together, the Spirit of God does a work. And may we yearn for that. God, whoever you put me around, whoever you engage me with, I know this. I know that they desire to know more about you. They're desiring to see you, understand you, and come together with you. And I don't even care if we turn out to be great friends. I can be with them. Because we're spirit-dependent people. And God will show up and do a work in our diversity. Abiding in Christ's people are spirit-dependent people. Here we go, next Sunday, the rest of chapter 13. Lord, here we are. A people together. God, I pray for this series that we would be a hungry people, that we would be a pursuing after people, that we would be the kind of people who come together even on these weekends as we study through Acts and just with a sense within us of, Spirit of God, we are dependent upon you to do a work. Show us, work in us, work in me, work through, around, all over. 
God, I pray we would have that kind of hunger, that kind of abiding, sitting at your feet reality going on. And that from that, there would just be a radiant reality in our own lives and beyond and out of us. So God, show yourself. Spirit of God, we welcome your presence. We are in need of your direction. We are in need of your empowering. We are in need of helping us to cooperate with you. Do a work that only you can do. In Christ's name, amen.